those are the types of things that help solidify and bond relationships. Sometimes there's a little scripture, uh, sometimes there's a little cognac in that. Um, it's one thing to know about your revolution, know about your purpose, your calling, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it's another thing entirely to actually walk it out. I want to inspire people to do the right thing. There's no Calvary coming to save the day in our communities, that we are the iconic leaders that we have been waiting for. People will reject you, yeah. but you can't give up. I want to bring light in people's lives, inspire people, inspire people. Inspire people. Can I have your attention for a moment? What's good, Revolution? Welcome to the What's a Revolution show. The show for men and the people who love them. Where we discuss how men can find and embrace the revolution within themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corporal. What's good, revolutionaries? <laughs> I hope that you are doing well. I hope that you have been able in this year to, as we say, fulfill your revolution. That you have been able to grab hold of yourself to figure out who you are and who you want to be revolutionaries that's the key to it who do you want to be at the end of this year what will your celebrations be what will you be celebrating will you be celebrating the end of your revolution and how you have fulfilled it will you be with family and friends the love of your life the job the money all the things what will you be celebrating? And for us, we are celebrating the end of year four here at the What's Your Revolution show. And I am elated with all of the accomplishments that we've had this year. I am jumping up and down, screaming, thank you. Thank you to my people. Thank you to you, revolutionaries who have supported this show from day one. We are ending year four on a high with a jump in listenership, 30% jump in listenership. We were able to produce 30 amazing shows with amazing people from authors to activists to entrepreneurs to athletes to you name it. We've had the people come on and talk about their revolution. And in year five, hopefully at the end of year five, we will be jumping up and down, celebrating that the What's Your Revolution show in its TV debut has a robust viewership, not just listenership. That the What's Your Revolution show on Brown Box TV is a hit because we have manifested it. We have put it into the ethos. We have given it thought every day and that this show a show for men and the people who love them have given them strategies and tidbits and tips and all of the things that we need to thrive, all of the things that we need to be revolutionary. And so to mark right the end of year four, I began to think about how do I, how do I even bring forth some of the best clips that have touched me? Not only is the host of this show, but is a listener of this show. Because I think that we have to find ways to pull out the themes, to pull out the issues that are most pertinent to me, to you, 
right? And I say me because I am like you. I am a listener of this show. I am a fan of the What's a Revolution show. And so I, as the host, wanted to pull out some things, some some really great clips of shows with some of my really, really good friends and and really highlight what they are doing. And so I asked you to come on this journey with me, this next hour where you have the ability to listen to some of the most profound, heartwarming, thought-provoking, inspiring, motivating segments that have happened across the last year of the What's Your Revolution show. And so I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to present this to you. We began the year, ironically, with our 100th show. And it's interesting, if you look, if you think revolutionaries, what 100 means, right? It means longevity. It means consistency. It means, as my good friends and brothers of Omega Sci-Fi, it means perseverance. And so we marked our 100th show with bringing on my good friend, one of my best friends, right? My confidant, Phil Eccles. And in those moments with him, the theme that resonated as he talked about how to become better was those peak moments. How do we exercise and really live in those peak moments, right? Because those peak moments will allow us to become better. So as you listen to this clip with Phil Eccles, my good friend, the CEO of Become Better, as we talk about these peak moments, figure out what are the peak moments that you want to create in your life. Who do you want to have with you in those peak moments? How do you want to become better? Because thinking about how to become better, you can ask yourself, what's your revolution? My revolution is, it, it, just as you stated earlier, um, becoming better it is to inspire those around me to become the best version of themselves. And, and, and when I say that, I'll give a little more context, you know, just imagine a, a, a world or a society where everyone is, is, has goals and are pushing themselves to be the best version that they can possibly be, you know? And one of the things that I'll say, it, it's not necessarily around like wealth or being rich. It's more just, you know, whether it's being the healthiest version of yourself or if you're a runner, um, being a little bit faster than you were last year or um, just being an anti-racist version of yourself, whatever you consider the best version of yourself to be, um, that is it. And it, it's really goal goal centered. And and it, it goes back to this quote that my father and I often talk about, just that low ain't low low aim is sin and just where we all have the potential to to do more and create this ripple effect of um of change and and positive things in our world um you know when we take days off from from reflecting and of, of course i'm not saying not to recharge your battery or um, take the time that you need to reflect but 
when we aren't striving for more or when we aren't reflecting on our goals or reflecting on our, our desired state or what we're pushing ourselves to be, then, um, you know, we're falling short of, of just relishing the gift that we have of this time here on earth. You know, Phil, there's a, there's a the whole lot in that. And your father, the wise Omega man that he is, <laughs> the very wise and very wise uh, Omega man that he is. I say that one more time. Um, the good pastor, the good reverend, <laughs> the good reverend Eccles, right? And I love that he couched he couched that into saying that low aim is a sin. Low aim is a sin, and you have picked up that mantra in a more a colloquial way that it is our job to become better in every way. And revolutionaries, as you're listening to this show, it's going to come out the, you know, this is going to air the first week in January. And many of us will be thinking about our revolutions and our resolutions and and changing our lives. How do you build upon 2020? And people are going to say, you know, 2020 was this. I lost family members. I lost friends. I lost loved ones. I might have lost a job. I may, I may have lost a step. But it sounds like what you're saying, Phil, is that no matter what, there's an opportunity to become better. And so people are going to ask me, like, well, Phil, that sounds great. That, that sounds great. But how do I do that, right? I don't know, right? I don't know what it means to become better. How do I even how do I even start this process, Dr. Phil? Go ahead and claim that. <laughs> We're going to speak it into existence. Yes, we are. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, first is to, you know, very much thinking about what we've been reflecting on like our our relationship and our friendship is to consider you know, who you're spending time with, consider your circle, consider um, those people who are closest to you, um, because those people being the fabric of, of who you are help make you a better person, you know, and just surrounding yourself with the people who, who offer you a, a, advice that you respect and, and put to action. Um, spending time with those people, like reflecting and processing through, you know, events and experiences that have, have happened. And that kind of leads to the second point that I'll share is, you know, my work being in adult learning, you know, we, it, from John Dewey's work, we, from his words, we, we learn from processing experiences. And so that's, that's the edge that adults might have in learning over students per se. The students are still gathering these experiences and going through life. But as adults, we've had these experiences. And if experience were all that we needed to be experts, then we would all be experts. And so just reflecting on our experiences, our decisions, um, the things that we've overcome, like those things can help us change our trajectory and become better versions of ourselves. Yeah. My man, Rashib. Thomas joins me on the episode Choice Points. How to make how to make the choice points in your life, right? And the interesting thing that Rashid Thomas talks about, the leadership coach to the stars, is that you won't know who you are 
you won't know who you are until you have to make a choice. And it is in those moments, in those choice points that Rashib talks about that will allow you to determine whether or not you're going to fulfill your revolution or you're going to have to ask the question again. Enjoy this time as my man Rashib Thomas talks about how to make the best decisions in life. I love the fact that um, people, we're all our worst critic, right? And I think a lot of the pain that I've realized for myself and I talk about with others is usually self-inflicted. We've learned some things from others, but the really the un- um, the inability to break free from it usually is self-inflicted. And so what we do is we look at how we can break free from that. And um, when they do start breaking free from it, it's really like tracking in real time some of the results that they're having and, and the, the, the experience that they're creating. Last thing I'll say about that, Charles, is what I've learned is that I can, in our lessons, my job is to help them deal with things and support um, their decision-making and choices in real time. I say that because on a hour call, 90 minute call with myself, you know, that's a, that's a test case. That's a conversation. We're just acting it out. We're role-playing out. The, I tell my clients, you won't know who to be until choice point comes. You won't until it's right in front of you until when someone is right, you know, the person pisses you off or the email came and you won't know, okay, how do I take new ground and either stand up for myself or if the person slides into your DM and says, Hey, I, I saw you and I wanted to meet you. And then you don't know how to respond because up until then you didn't think you were worthy of that person's credentials or that type of relationship or what have you, you won't know who to be until choice point. And then the way you get through who you need to be or who you get to be at choice point is courage, right? I'm not saying you have all the answers. And I tell my clients, we ain't got to bake this out right now because we don't know. Look, the ending of the series ain't been written yet, but courage will get you through it. So once you show up with a courageous heart, then guess what? You'll be telling me next session what happened, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. And that's how, that's how we look at all of those things. Um, it's choice points. It's the beliefs that they're, uh, that, that they have that actually impact their actions that impact their results and impact their life. And then we look at, um, again, the ways of being that allow them to actually manifest it because up until now, everything has been just a conversation. So something needs to actually fundamentally change. And it's also my job to call people out. Sometimes I got to talk about you like uh, your cousin would just to make you <laughs> to shift into a new way of being. So that's what I do. Man, Rashid, good Lord, brother. This, this is, this is what 2021 is going to be for us, right? Right, right here. You know, thinking about this, who do we want to be? Right. Right. You don't change. You can't manifest something else unless you see it. Right. Unless you see what you want to be in those situations, you have to envision it. And so it's so interesting that you say that, because last year, as I was rounding out the year with my therapist, I was at home and I'm a big proponent of black men going to therapy. We need to go. And continue to go. It's a part. It's a part of our healing, as uh, as a cadre. You know, as as a monolith of people, we need to go to therapy. But he said, "I want you to think about what December of 2021 looks like, mm-hmm. and you're celebrating. Like mm-hmm. 
you are celebrating. It's the end of the year. You're celebrating all of your wins for the year. And he said, by seeing that, by envisioning your wins of the year, you can then work backwards and say, how do I get to this point where I'm jumping up and down? Like, yes, yes. The What's the Revolution show, right, is funded. I've had 40 shows. I've been able to interview amazing people like you, Rashid. Um, I mean, it just, you know, Alfred Edmund Jr., our brother at Black Enterprise, is saying this is one of the best podcasts that we can experience for black men. Uh, in a relationship, house, home, my parents, are all these different things. He said, I want you to envision it because if you don't envision it like you said you can't then oh and what i love is that you can't make the choice points right when things happen when someone slides into your dim you're like oh wait a minute (laughs) right maybe maybe i want to holler at you right or that financial opportunity comes along where you've been saying oh i've been trying to hoard this cash where's the choice point I, i love that that's the nugget revolution is that you find in every one of the shows is that you have the ability to hear key things that are going to revolutionize your life. What Rashid said is that you're going to have choice points, mm-hmm. but if you haven't manifested how you're going to see yourself, right? Interestingly enough, those choice points come with little things. Do you have the chocolate chip ice cream? If you're trying to lose weight, you know, right. do you go get that gumbo from new Orleans? <laughs> yes. I say, yes. I say you go get that gumbo from cauliflower new Orleans. rice, cauliflower rice, maybe instead of regular rice. And maybe that's a, we'll, We'll get to that, but exactly. That's what I love. And if we, if we, if we are weaving a tapestry here, my brother, like think about what you just said, we're weaving a tapestry that we're getting back to this point of self-actualization and this weaving, uh, this weaving of our tapestry of getting to that point is that you're going to have to be able to make choice points, right? That allow you to find love and belonging, that allow you to see yourself as good, as great, as revolutionary. And those choice points, what you're saying, dear brother, are going to move you there or they're going to keep you in the same space or move you backwards. Exactly. And that that is that is the revolution. That's the revolution right there. My my people is that you're going to be faced with choices. You can move. Right. Or you can stay the same or you, you can actually even move backwards, move backwards, move backwards. One of the most rewarding conversations that I had over the years with. CEO of Wise Young Builders, and we call him Chairman Moses, but his name is Elijah Moses. If you listen to the entire episode, you hear the backstory. But the interesting thing that comes out of this clip, right, this passage that I have with Moses is that in his revolution, he talks about being able to revolt and evolve, and that's what revolution is about, is that, that being able to revolt from something that you want to be different, right? Revolution happens when you want to have change. But then what happens when the revolution is coming to its end? We're going to hope that there is an evolution of you, of your self-awareness, of a greater consequence in the world because you have been able to evolve check out this amazing passage with chairman moses ceo of wise young builders revolution so i have to always contextualize uh you know because people use words differently when i think the word revolution i think revolt 
and evolve, right? So mm. for me, my revolt is I want freedom, right? And to be coupled with freedom, I want power. And I have to contextualize and explain definitions, right? So power to me is the ability to get things done. I want that. Right. I want the ability to get things done. So I, I revolted and decided to leave my job. I was getting paid close to six figures. I was working in D.C. government and people said, listen, are you crazy? I mean, I have friends who like, why would you leave all of that? Well, you know, I'm, I'm in a blessed position now. I just submitted a proposal for 10 times more than what I was making in government. You know what I mean? And. But you have to be brave enough to make that revolt. Uh, slaves, when they were enslaved, some people said, listen, I'm not getting back up tomorrow. I'm leaving, right? I'm, I'm getting out of here. And I think the revolt is a part of it. And it's about freedom for me. It's about the ability to get up and make a choice that I want to make, do the work that I want to do, and do it how I want to do it, and impact the people how I would like to impact them. And sometimes when you work in different spaces, I worked in government in D.C. for years. I love D.C. government. It has treated me very well. But I remember walking into a meeting at a very prominent government agency. Uh, had a good reputation in the city. I mean, everybody knows me. And if you talk about workforce development, youth development, my name comes up in the conversation. And they told me when I went to work for this particular agency, Moses, sit down, shut up, and don't come up with any more ideas. I was waiting on a camera to pop out. Like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe I'm on candid camera. Maybe this is not real, but I cannot believe that we're sitting here making all of this money and there's people whose lives are dependent on us and we're putting people through red tape, being bureaucrats. I mean, oh, they showed up five minutes late to orientation. Tell them to come back Thursday for the next one. Well, just let them in. I mean, we, we I, I eat off of this money, right? This person doesn't have employment. We can't treat people like this. Uh, so for me, it's about freedom. It's about power. And freedom for me is like, you know, the narrative changes. But to me, ultimately, freedom is about the ability to make your choices and, and live with the results without anybody kind of, no, you have to be in this box or that box. So I would say that's my revolution. Revolt and evolve and grow. You know, evolve about growth. I don't want to just... I, I talked to you a little earlier about I plan on evolving to the point where I have residents part-time out of the country. Right. I want to be free able to, hey, no reason I can't go live out the country for two months, three months, you know? Should be no reason. Should be no, None at no all. reason. No. Yeah. Moses, I appreciate that, brother, because oftentimes when I ask that question, people are talking about their work. They're talking about the, the, the larger work of their revolution. Seemingly, your revolution begins with you, so you can then do the vast work that you want to see in the world. The yeah. revolt, like you said, the revolt is leaving something behind, if I'm correct. Right, right, right. And that, that, that in itself, because I, I, I want to unpack that for a minute, Moses. Because there are a lot of people out there right now. They've gone through a, a, a and I'm going to call it, they've gone through a treacherous year. Mm -hmm. People have lost their jobs. They're potentially going to lose their homes. Uh, they, they may have been evicted, all these different things. But what I think that I'm hearing you say is that there potentially is opportunity in that if you think about as this as an opportunity to, to, to revolt from the status quo. Right. 
Right. You know, to build right. out something of a dream that you may never have had before and seeing this as a potential opportunity. And like you said, you, at the time you had a, a close to six figure job and all the different benefits and some comfort. Oh, too much comfort. I mean, you, you know, know, it was somebody gave me one agency I worked for one job I had, they gave me a blank check and said, build whatever you want to build. I couldn't believe it. That, <laughs> I, had a, I had an office, I had a bathroom in my office. I built a bar in my office and the, just for context purpose, it was a smoothie bar. So, you know, student, <laughs> students and guests and partners can come by. I'll make you a smoothie. We'll sit and talk in my office, leather seat and assistant. What more can you ask for? You know, but there was something different that needed to be done, you know? So to leave all of that, it had to be a revolt, right? And there had to be something, you know, the Bible gives this parable of like a man who found a treasure in a field and he sold all that he had to attain that treasure. The next person is going to say, man, what is going on with you? Are you crazy? Which people have told me, like, you got to be crazy. I'm not leaving this. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this for 40 years, 40 hours a week, 40 years, and I'm going to go, well, that's not what I want to do. Right. Um, so you revolted from comfort, a, a comfortable space. And it's just interesting thing how, how we have this this linear feel here on the show, because a number of my guests talk about that, is that getting out of the discomfort allows you to grow exponentially. Yes. We love we love the warm and fuzzy. Right. We, we, we love the war. I want to jump into that warm coat. I want to jump into that toasty bed that I, where I just put those warm sheets on that I just pulled out of the dryer. I want to I want to sit and make sure I got everything in the bank and it feels so good. Well, what we've seen and what we've seen particularly is that those people who actually revolt from comfort and I'm, we're going to use that as our as our a buzzword today. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. That revolt from comfort are the people who are the greatest leaders that are living the most successful lives, the most passionate and fulfilled lives because they have the ability to sit in discomfort. The best entrepreneurs that you and I both know are those that revolted from something that was comfortable, that they saw a pain point, Moses, and said, I'm going to jump into this discomfort because there's an ability for me to solve people's problems, as well as, as we talk so much about here at Camelback Ventures, right, and at What's Your Revolution, is that we can create generational wealth if we actually feel the discomfort and revolt, right? Revolt yeah. from that comfort. Yeah, but You can't create generational wealth, right? by being comfortable, if I'm correct. Tell me. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, accounts. I mean, we can look at the IT sector and, and people who have built IT companies. We can look at people who build hair product companies. We can look at uh, people who build spiritual revolutions, right? All of it kind of revolved around, I see something different, right? I mean, you look at Moses in the Bible who said, there's some a text that I can't, you know, I don't know about her, but says that, he left the comforts of Egypt, right, to go. Like, well, there was something different I got to go to. And people don't understand that. The luminary Sean Dove joins me on the Reinventing Leadership episode. And as you know, I have been fanning, and I say that in the show, I have been fanning Sean Dove, now one of my good friends for a long, long time. And thank you, Sean, for all of your leadership. All that you do. Uh, I am humbled that you actually call me, brother. 
uh, to ask for leadership advice as you are on your journey. So thank you for all that you do. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your journey. But it's interesting as you listen to this passage of Sean and myself, probably one of the most prolific things that I talk about over the course of this year that stands out is that it's not that we have a midlife crisis. It is that we have a midwife crisis. And you'll hear, you'll hear in this passage that I talk about the, the inflection, the joy, right? Because that when you have a midwife crisis, right, you need someone to help you come birth your ideas. Take a listen to this wonderful, wonderful opportunity to think about who do you need in your camp when you make that choice, right, to revolt and evolve who is going to help you. It's a great, great passage with Sean Dove. Whilst that holy tree in motion, I stopped to look for a brother with ways to write a book. Arrange round me with a story to tell of a billion brothers who know all too well about unwritten words that unwillingly die before bred and bound and able to fly. Why do my brother's words wear weights of woe? My ears to the ground, I'm dying to know. We must give our words wings so they can sing a song for all brothers they will bring. The ability to fly, to dream, and to soar is to you, my brothers, these words are for. To give our words a life, we must sit and write our story with tales of what life is like. Do me a favor and set your words free. I need to hear them. Do it for me. And that is the essence of who I am. That is a poem that I wrote in 1988. Wow. Before I went into recovery for uh, my drug addiction. And there is the uh, Gnostic Gospel of St. Thomas that says, there's a, a, a scripture there that says, if you get out of you what's inside of you, it will save you. If you don't get out of you what's inside of you, it will destroy you, right? And so I Tomb America on Loving and Leading Black Men and Boys is um, a uh, culmination of me personifying that poem that I, 30, you know, more than 31 years ago that I, uh, uh, I wrote. And... I thought that, you know, this book would be written a long time ago, right? But uh, I think uh, things needed to happen, and I guess I needed to have more uh, 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 to say. And so as I uh, was sharing with you, uh, it is equal parts uh, a memoir and uh, uh, telling my story, right? And my vulnerable story. Right. And pieces of myself that, you know, some people may see Sean Dove as, uh, uh, you know, this public figure, this leader, uh, but sharing uh, 
my vulnerability, my trauma, uh, and that uh, a story because it is similar to so many stories of black men and boys growing up uh, in, in America. And uh, it has been a journey and an excavation of uh, the soul. And I have had uh, so many midwives uh, on this journey uh, uh, with me, right? Birthing. Birthing, right? And, and and let me tell you this, right? And this is like for especially men, like uh, you said, you just celebrated your 50th? 55 baby. 5 And God, you know, so often we as black men get to our midlife and think that we should have done this, accomplished that, be at a certain point because we are uh, looking at external standards and, and, and John Henryism and, 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 and performative uh, uh, ethos. And I firmly believe that we suffer not from a midlife crisis, we suffer from a midwife crisis mm. as black men, right? That we have some stuff inside of us, some goals, some dreams, some aspirations that we have been trying to push out all by ourselves. Yeah, wow. And when we talk about vulnerability, right? And I tell the story about being in a delivery room for all four of my children and my last born, Caleb, uh, was breached. And no matter how hard my wife Desiree pushed, uh, Caleb was not coming out alone. His twin brother, Cameron, uh, 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 was pushed out. Uh, and nine minutes after Cameron uh, was out, Caleb's vital signs were dropping. They were not ready for a C-section. And the doctor said, I have to go in and pull him out. And I believe that, um, you know, we get to a point, brother, when we have pushed out some dope stuff, we have pushed out and have accomplished and have proven a lot. But the thing that God truly wants us to deliver to this world, we will never push out alone. And we have to get vulnerable and go to a brother and say, Charles, I've got something inside of me and I need your help mm. to pull it out, right? And this imagine this image of how do we as men get comfortable getting in emotional and spiritual stirrups right talk about vulnerability wow. right wow. Talk about vulnerability yes some of us and we look at the suicide rates of uh, black men in our age group right and across the spectrum but our age group uh, because that thing inside of us that is breach that we are unable to uh, push out alone, we take to the grave, we die, we give up, and some of us don't physically commit suicide, but spiritually and emotionally, we do, right? And, and so uh, part of my revolution, when you talk about what's my revolution, is to really be also um, that man midwife to uh, brothers that uh, uh, have something to deliver and they can't push out alone. 
So I'm gonna just pause here for a second. <laughs> Brother, like I've been doing this show for four and a half years now, right? Literally, literally what you just said, maybe one of the and I look, dope fire guest on this show. What you just said is probably one of the most or the most prolific thing for my revolutionaries to hear, you know, and I'm not pausing the show. I'm just saying this, this, just pause, like, because I want people to internalize what you just said is that, I mean, and, and right. You, you, you put our masculinity in very feminine perspective, right? Because oftentimes it is our masculinity that gets in the way of us being successful. Those, those traditional archetypes of what it means to be a man get in the way of us. I can do all of this alone. I think about this, you know, people ask me, well, Charles, how are you doing all that you're doing? You're working at Camelback Ventures, proliferating these, you know, all of these dope black and women of color entrepreneurs, right? You're proliferating what's a revolution. You're running triathlons, taking care of your body, right? You're taking care of your, your father and mother. Father has Alzheimer's, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to have a, a, a relationship, all of these different things, how are you doing it? And th there are times that I'm laying in bed at night and I'm like, how the hell am I doing all this? That's a lot. It, it's, it's a, it's a lot. It, it, it's a lot. And the, 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 the diamond that you just gave us, Sean was like, look, if you're going to burst something, right? Nobody goes into the, a woman does not go into the hospital and have a child alone. There are hands touching her. There are, there are gods from the spiritual to the physical to the metaphysical that are touching her to birth that child. And revolutionaries, what, what, what Brother Dove is saying is that there's something inside of you that the world needs. And I thought about, as you were saying, Les Brown talks about it so proliferally, you know, that as you're lying on your dying bed, you do not want the ghost of your ideas standing around the bed saying, you know what? We came to you, only you, because you had the talent to do this. And now we die with you. And, you know, there are five questions, like pain is the last one uh, that I ask all leaders to do some journaling with, right? And one, I'm like, being reflective and having a journal uh, is really, uh, I think, uh, important. It is a meditative uh, internal process of leadership. But asking the question about what are you doing about your purpose and understanding um what that purpose is and how you are manifesting it. Spend some time um, meditating and writing on what are you doing about your power, right? And so much of that is knowing that you have power, right? We give our power away so often because we don't know that we uh, uh, have it. What are we doing with our, what are you doing with your privilege? And that becomes a tricky conversation and question as uh, black men, right? And uh, some will 
default and say, what privilege? I don't have no privilege in this white supremacist society. Uh, uh, you certainly have some privilege. We have privilege uh, with our gender yeah. uh, and who we are as black men. There is privilege. We have privilege. And what are we doing uh, uh, with that? What are we doing with our pride? That's the fourth question, right? And uh, that often uh, is uh, a um, difficult one, right? And how is uh, my pride driving how I'm acting and how I am uh, pushing and how I am not being collaborative and how is my pride pushing a performative uh, uh, ethos, right? And the last question uh, that as leaders we need to um, ask ourselves is, uh, what are we doing with our pain? Yeah. Dr. Anthony Perdue, good brother of Omega, joins me on the show as he promotes his book, Purpose to Power. Dr. Anthony Perdue has been on the show a couple of times, but in this passage, we really talk about what it means to bring your full self, this self-awareness, right? Think about where we've been in these clips, that uh, these passages that we've had previously. Finding the peak moments of your life, figuring out the choice points, right? How to revolt and evolve, right? Who is going to help you? Who is going to be this midwife for you? But through all of this, we've got to be self-aware. We have to be emotionally intelligent we have to bring forth right who we are to our revolution our fullest self how are you going to do that dr anthony purdue <laughs> dr anthony purdue dr anthony purdue gives a recipe in how to do this right think about the three things right the three m's that you're going to hear in this answer those questions because when you can answer those questions, it will help you answer the larger question. Hey, I'm a black man. You know, we kind of proud. You know, we kind of proud. We got we got that John Henryism on our shoulders. Right? I can do this. But then you're sitting back and you're like week after week, month after month. I'm sitting here. I need to ask for help. How do I do that? So. I think in order to do that, I think you want to go back in steps because you, you you said a lot of good stuff, right, man. But but I want to I want to kind of go back to answer your question about help because you got to ask for help to from a place from a place of, in my opinion, a place of vision, right? So self awareness and those values that are part of that self awareness informs your revolution or informs your purpose, your why, your cause, right? You you, you went down a list of, th- of reasons why you love community, right? What, what that, what that looks like you described it. So ultimately what your, what that revolution, like that community building, you have descriptions of it, that purpose becomes a purpose or revolution in pictures, a purpose in pictures or, you know, a a vision, right? You know, the good book says, you know, without vision, people throw off restraint, right? So you got to have that vision of where you are going. And, and once you have that, that, that purpose, that revolution and a vision, that's when you ask for help to have it come to fruition. Right. And, and, you know, Dr. Bobby Manning said, you know, there's these three M's that are important for men, right? Who's your master? 
what's your mission and what and who's your mate in other words how are you leveraging whoever whether it's a friend whether it's a community whether it's your wife or or husband how are you how are they helping to to, to you, to, for you to, uh, you know, achieve your mission. And so that's really what's important, man, is you've got to find that, that vision first and the creative tension between the vision of where you're going and where you are now, that's where that creativity and that, and that, and that tension comes, but it's positive because now you know where you're going. So I, I implore not to just know your revolution, not to just know your purpose, but to know your purpose and pictures, your vision, so that you can ask for help to your point uh, on how to get there. And if, and by the way, if your vision is, is, is it can be attained alone, it is too small. It is, it is it's too small. I can't curse. <laughs> I can't. Oh, wow. Wow. This is why I love this man. Cause you know, I, I, I go back and I, I'm, a, that's going to hit me again when I listen to this at the gym next week. Right. That, just say it one more time, right? Just, just say that last part one more time. If if you can attain your vision alone, it is too small. We all need help. You know, oh, if you want to impact the planet, and that's why I got the, the planet on, on here. If you want to, you know, uh, empower uh, yourself and others and have an impact on the planet, you've got to have a massive vision. You've got to make change. And the world needs that more now, man, than I, you know, than ever really. Right. So, um, yeah, we need help. We need to be able to ask for help. And if you're doing this alone, I need to reiterate that. Your revolution is too small. Your purpose is too small. And I, I just want to say this, right? Think about your purpose in pictures. And as you said that, as you said that, Dr. Purdue, right? right I, I began to think about Oprah and her vision boards, right? Mm -hmm. if, if you're thinking about this, right? How do you envision your life, right? And, and how do you envision your revolution? Can you, can you paint a picture of what that looks like? Mm. You know, and I, I wish that I wish that seven years ago when the What's Your Revolution started, I, I had this picture. I didn't. Right. But now being able to see models and different things, I, I can see the vision of this. Mm -hmm. I, I can see the vision of what the global What's Your Revolution brand looks like and how that ability to impact others that look like us and, and, and everyone that listens to this show. Right. Because interestingly enough, and I started this show for us. Right. Dope black men doing dope black stuff and stuff is usually another word that I say, but <laughs> right for us, because there was something that I was missing and then I, and, and nobody else was really doing that right now. But so many people listen to the show who don't look like us, mm. who don't look like us. And they say, I never knew that you all had experiences like this. Right. I never knew that there were people out there that actually talked like this, right? That opened up like this, that were vulnerable like this. Like, wow, I'm listening to you and I'm learning about the experiences of black men who are doing great things in the world, right? And so now this vision becomes even greater because we listen to the show because we get these strategies and tips about how to find our revolution, how to walk into our revolution. But other people say, you know what? I want to join that revolution with mm. you. Right. Because I've got the empathy and I've done the I've done the work I want to hear. Right. Because it allows me to be a better community member. It allows me to be more empathetic. It allows me to go out and be an ally. All those things. And so I'm I'm definitely grateful for that. The last thing you said that we'll definitely move on, Dr. Purdue, is that asking for help is one thing. 
but how do you find the right help, the right mentor to walk in your revolution, to walk in your purpose? What does that look like? Where do you go? I'm sitting here, that person listening to the show, like I got the steps, but now who do I go to, to ask? That's a, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think the, I think again, all of this starts with self-evaluation, right? Part of it is knowing your strengths. So knowing what you're good at, whether it's character strengths or strengths of competency. And the reason you want to know that is because based upon what your revolution is, what your vision is, and how you're going to get there, that's how you know what help to ask for. And I, 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 I kind of am in these two camps, but mainly in the, you know, the positive psychology, build upon your strengths camp, first and foremost. In other words, if you know your strengths, find mentors and people that can help you grow in those strengths. And those are usually, I mean, now, nowadays is very, um, I won't say easy, but it's, you know, it's accessible because we can search for it through social media platforms like LinkedIn, even, you know, even Facebook, friends and family, um, you know, Google, et cetera. Right. But if there's, so, so, so that'd be my first thing. The second is also around your weaknesses. What are those weaknesses that might be debilitating or that you want specific help in? So like for me, when it comes to administration, <laughs> when it comes to you know, detail project planning and things of that nature, I'm terrible. Right. So I, that's where I need help. And that's where I, you know, I, I, I um, get help with. Right. So that'd be the, the, the second thing. And then the third thing, man, is really whatever your, your revolution is, whatever that community that you, that you, um, um, need to be a part of, that's where you go and get help. So if you, if it's a revolution or, or purpose is your thing, then start hanging out with purpose people. If it's a, a emotional intelligence, type of thing, then start hanging out with them. If you do, you know, if you, you know, you go to the gym, you're a personal trainer or whatever, then you, then you join communities that, that train other people, man. So uh, I know it's somewhat of a broad answer, but I think it's really uh, um, focused on understanding your strengths, your weaknesses and the communities that you need to be a part of. And then, you know, getting to it. Right. The, the, the thing is, is, is being able to ask for help. And like you said, looking at doing those assessments around what are your weaknesses and your strengths. Right. And as I think about this, right. Inking this deal is like, OK. I've never produced a TV show before. All right. So <laughs> all right, what, is, what does that mean? Right. So now my mentor, the person, my mentor mentors are going to be those people who have actually done this, right? Because I don't know what I don't know around this. And the vision of this show five years down the road is like Lester. Hey, Lester Holt. Hey, it's me. It's me and you. <laughs> right? Hey, Lester. Good morning. Let's <laughs> put my makeup on. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I see you. I see you. So, you know, that that's the thing, right? And, but knowing now, uh, you know, as a TV show, right, on a network, what is that going to feel and look like? How do I, how do I not only be the talent, but the executive producer of this as well? And all of those things. And so asking for that, knowing what my, like you said, knowing what my strengths and weaknesses are in this and saying, I can't do this alone because if I do this alone, right, this big vision, we bring it back to what you're saying, this big vision that I have, it's going to fail. The elder statesman, the Virginia elder statesman, Gary McCallum joins me in a riveting, one of the most listened to episodes on the show this year. As we think about our role, right, our role in government, 
our ability, right, our ability to be active players in the political process and what we need to do. And Gary asked this one pivotal question. What would happen if we had a government that allowed us to be a thriving country? And maybe this is your revolution. Maybe you want to be more politically active. Maybe you want to right, build up your communities. You want to have a living wage. You want to have livable communities. You want to have people who can walk outside of their doors knowing that they're going to work and have a wage that is actually allows them to buy a car or buy a home to live in great neighborhoods. Gary McCallum kind of gives the way, kind of gives the blueprint for us. What do we need to do as a politically astute community, as people, to ensure that we have the government that is for the people and by the people? What are the solutions around what needs to happen in government for us to be a thriving country? That's the question. Because I, we are defunct. We are default. <laughs> we are, we are, we are, are, are evil in every sense of the word when it comes to politicians on either side of the aisle. And I want to know, what do we need to do to get us out of the muck and of where we are so I can feel good about being an American citizen? Yeah. No, it's a great question. And I, I think it really... It, it, we have to understand that the that the most important political title in our country is not president, is not you know chief justice of the Supreme Court, is not speaker of the house, but the most important title that you can hold in our land is citizen. Mm. That's that's really the fun. It's government for the people and by the people. And I think that's the issue that has clouded what we see today. People think that, oh, I can't do anything. No, you can. All these folks from the president on down, they all work for you. And it's critical that you never forget that, that you vote, but not only vote, because again, when you vote, basically what you're doing is you're hiring somebody to represent you. They work for you. But once once they work for you, there is a requirement for you to stay engaged with them to make sure that they're doing what you want them to do. And I don't think we do a very good job of that. I mean, the re- one of the reasons why I co-founded an organization called Do the Right Things. It's not D-O, it's D-U-E. D-U-E, therightthings.org, was for this very reason. Because I think we need to be, we need to be clear that the citizens of this country, of our city, our county, our state, our, our, our nation, that we are the ones who are in charge. It's not the people you see on Fox or CNN or MSNBC. We are the people. And I think we lose sight of that. We think somehow that we're powerless and we can't do anything, but we can and I think we need more of us not just simply subscribing necessarily to a political uh, uh, philosophy, but we are subscribing to what's right. Mm-hmm. Because I'll be honest with you, there really needs to be more of us not just simply saying, well, everything's right over here on this side of the aisle politically or everything's right on this side of the aisle. No, there are things that are being done by both political parties that frankly are not in the best interest of the citizens. Exactly. 
I'll use a football analogy. We need we need more referees. We need people <laughs> who are going to call the flag on whichever team right, right, is right, offside. Right, whichever right. team. That's what we need. Mm-hmm. But you need to have people who are engaged, and that's where, particularly for young people who may be listening to this to this uh, conversation, uh, the the system counts on you not being engaged. They count on you not voting. They count on you not speaking up, and. That's why we have the government that we have. We have the government, frankly, that we asked for. Ooh, man, Gary, you're you're dropping it. Um, It goes back to that conversation that we had earlier. Just if if you're not changing, you're dying. And in my belief right now, what we're seeing is a dying right we is a dying nation. Right, we we are corrupting at our core. Because we are we are we are fighting. We we are fighting, and we are allowing the what we have done, as you said, the people that we have hired. We are allowing them to fight a fight that is not ours. Yeah. Did you yeah. hear that, revolutionaries? We are allowing people to fight a fight that's not our fight. At the end of the day, and so the question that I know that's on my revolutionaries' mind is like, Gary, you said this engagement, right? But what can I do, right? I don't have a I don't have a million dollars to donate. I'm I'm not a Coke, right? Uh, I'm not an Echoing Green. I, I, I'm I'm not, you know, I'm just one person. How do I get involved? How do I how how do I amplify my voice? Because you know what, there are times and days where I'm like, you know what, Joe, what are you doing? What are you doing, Joe? Because look, this is not look. I, I went through four years of you know of not you, and right now I'm a little I'm a little like yo, what are you doing? Like so, how can the average person be more engaged to have an impact on what's going on with our civic leaders? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question, and I'm glad you asked it. First of all, I'll start by saying that this this effort is not uh, a solo activity; it's a team game, mm-hmm. and so the thing I would ask anyone listening to this is what organizations are you aligned with? You know, are are you, you, you know what you feel passionate about the organizations out there that feel the same way. So are you affiliated? Are you, are you, you know, on, you know, are you going to the meetings? Are you on the zoom calls? Are you, you know, and again, it doesn't take, I, again, I know we're busy, but this is important. So, it's, it, you can't do this by yourself. It's a team game. So align yourself with people who are thinking the way that you're thinking. That's that's that's, so that's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is show up. You know, you don't have to have a million dollars, but you can show up at your city council, your school board. <laughs> you can you can. You know, I was at my my city council the other night. You know, just calling them out because that's what you have to do. You, Hopefully you, you cannot sit, yeah, you cannot sit there and let things happen and not speak up. You cannot, you know, Dr. King said it this way, that when when we when we uh, uh, allow the I'm paraphrasing, when we allow things to happen, uh, our, our days begin to end when we don't speak up against things that matter, things that matter. That, that's what happens. And so all I'm saying is you can't. Don't let your days in. Speak up. Speak up. Don't, don't be silent about this stuff. Show up at a school board meeting. Show up at a city Write a letter to the editor. Write a letter to your representative because again, they work for you. 
You can do something. You don't need to have a million dollars in the bank to do that. Now, if you do have some money, support those candidates that are talking about what you're talking about, supporting things that you're talking about. And then if they are elected, hold them accountable. Hold them accountable. And the interesting thing I think that we uh, that we need to say here as well, Gary, is that you, we could pool our money. And, and, and that's yeah. the thing, right? Uh, if you remember the Obama campaign back in 2008, $5, $10, right? We're allowed, you know, we're allowed when I say we're given to him to basically the, the catapult in him to his first election. But I, I, I started laughing because, I, you know, I, as you said, so show up at your school board meeting, right? Show up at your council meeting. And I'm thinking of what's going on with school boards around the country uh, oh about God. vaccines and, and mass mandates and how people are showing up at meetings. I think that we have to show up at meetings, and this is just my opinion. We have to show up in a meeting in, in, a, uh, in a manner that is conducive to people listening to what we're trying to say, right? And in my opinion, the loudest voices are the voices that are, are, are not always heard. Yeah. It is how you are coming across. And if time and time again, right, if we are coming to school board meetings and we're speaking up or we're coming to school uh, city council meetings and we're and we're speaking up or, you know, we're getting behind Pharrell, Pharrell Williams, you know, when you know, he, he is making a statement about, right, when you have the capital, when you have the political and social capital that will allow you to say, I'm going to take away, right? millions of dollars in revenue because I don't feel that this has been handled correctly. That's power. It has been a joy to do this, to spend some time highlighting the great work of the people that I have been able to interview over the course of year four of this wonderful, amazing show with over 130 guests now. Can you imagine that? I didn't even think about that. 130 guests five years ago. But each day, I knew that we needed to get 1% better. That the show needed to be better. It needed to sound better. I needed to bring on more prolific guests that had a greater story. Interestingly enough, as we round out... <laughs> As we round out this passage of uh, amazing stories that are being told in year four, Thomas Drew, CEO of One and One Life, joins me. And it's interesting because he details, right? Think about this, revolutionaries, as you ask this question and you answer it. That on January 1st, or whenever you start, you give yourself one year because a revolution, right? You give yourself one year and you say, how can I be better 1%? tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day because when we think the, the consistency of compound interest I'm better than I was yesterday I'm better than I was two days ago I'm better than I was last week I'm better than I was last month I'm better than I was last year I have revolted as Elijah Moses said and I have evolved, I have evolved into something greater. My revolution is greater now. The significance of who I am and the impact on the world is greater now. Take a listen to this wonderful, wonderful passage of Thomas Drew talking about 
how you can compound interest your life. I think a compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. That's how I look at it. Um, because in wellness and in, in what's wrong with wellness, and it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's just how it is. People get intimidated by it because of, of what we see in society, what we see on social media, what we see every, everywhere else, the way that you make strides and in, in what you need to understand, not just in wellness, but in life in general is there's never really a quick fix to anything. Mm. And as long as you are able to understand that a little by little by little equals a lot, you're going to get to where you need to go. And in wellness and in, in your body and in yourself, that does not mean if you're not used to moving every day, if you're not used to working out, if you're not used to, you know, eating a certain way or whatever it is, you don't need to then go from not being active to being in the gym for two hours mm -hmm. the day after it doesn't have to work like that. And it shouldn't work like that. What you need to think about and how everyone I feel should approach it is it starts with the mental conditioning to understand, okay, I'm going to identify who I am right now. I'm going to identify where I'm trying to go. I'm going to identify my strengths, my weaknesses, and the micro steps that are going to lead to the larger goals that are going to help me get Break there. Down. And it's about the micro steps, man. It's about like, okay, you know, it, it might start with a 15 minute walk. I mean, even me, my, my, myself, I'll give you an example. I had this kind of realization where, and, and because I played college basketball in college, I'm, I'm like a maniac, man. Like if I don't, if I don't go to the gym in like three days, I start losing my mind. Like seriously. Yeah. And but my thing was, you know, because I'm getting older and stuff like that, I started feeling kind of tight and I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to look at what I'm doing. I need to take a step back. I need to really do a, a top down view and look at what I'm doing. And I was like, okay, you know, I talked to, to my trainer and my mental performance coach and like my team. And I'm like, okay, I can't just go in the gym and pick up weights and put them down anymore. And I can't just, run and just do all these things. I, I can't do my regular basketball workouts. And the one thing that I did, there was a little thing every single day that's equaling a lot is stretching for 20 minutes every day mm. in the morning. Right. And, and, and so think about that, right? 20 minutes every day of stretching. What does that do to my body and my muscles and my mind wow. and my dexterity and my flexibility over time? It's going to allow me to, I'll never forget. I was in the gym and this, and this guy in my building, he's like in his, he's in his like late forties, triathlete, ridiculous shape. He's old. Like, he's really old. Oh, and, and doing try right. And doing triathlons. And he was like, look, man, it really comes down to this. He's like, just, you just got to make sure whether it's a little bit or a lot, you just got to move every day. And this is why. An object in motion stays in motion. I was like, there it is. That's it. That's, That's it. it. He's like, if you just continue to, and it doesn't have to be a lot. It can just be a little bit. And some days it can be a little bit more, but it's this consistent conditioning of compound interest that from a wellness point of view, it starts to turn into clockwork, just like everything else. If you study all the greats and profession and everything that they do, the main reason why they're so good at what they do is repetition. Like another example is like, you know, Steph Curry, like all these basketball players nowadays think they just go in the gym and throw up all these shots. The reason why these shots fall for Steph Curry is because 
he's put in an insane amount of reps and an insane amount of work consistently over time. His compound interest is a, is a different thing. Yeah. And so that's how you should look at it from, from a wellness point of view. And it's like, you know, a, another thing, uh, um, you know, one of our experts at one and one, his name is Soji. He put it beautifully. He's like, you look at yourself as a bank, like the, the bank of Charles, the bank of T drew. And every day you're depositing a little bit, whether it's a dollar, whether it's a hundred dollars, whether it's $10 into that bank. And just like financial compound interest, you get wellness compound interest. And even if you do 1% every day, that equals 365% mm. by the end of the year. Where are you? That's a revolution. <laughs> that is a revolution right there, dear brother. Look, and I'm, I keep thinking, right, as, as you're talking and, you know, shout out to Arthur Lee Graham, right? Congratulations on becoming Lieutenant Arthur Lee Graham. And, and my listeners have heard this story a little bit before, but I want to I want to tell you. So. The story of compound interest is really interesting because I cycle and uh, I'm an omega. And so we, you know, and I'm old. You know, I, I said when you talk about the dude who was in his 40s, you were like, he's, he's old. Like, I'm, I'm 50. I cycle. I run triathlons. Uh, you look like a 30. Good for you. Uh, yeah, hey, man. Look, man. I'm just, you know what I'm saying? I'm trying. <laughs> you know. But my, my frat brother and my good friend, Arthur, Arthur Lee Graham, um, started riding maybe 14 months ago. And the first time that he came out to ride with us, right? The brother the brother didn't even clip in, right? He had on tennis he had on tennis shoes. And like like you know, you know the pedals that we had when we were kids on our bike, right? He had a nice nice bike, but that didn't had clips, right? To 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 clip in. And so we laughed at him like, "Bro, you 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 can't keep up with us, right?" Mm-hmm. Laughed at him. But you talk about this compound interest. And so consistency came out ride came out and ride came out and ride consistency all of a sudden he got the clips on the bike kept riding kept getting faster you know we were we were riding like 17 18 miles an hour next thing you know he was riding 18 19 20 hours 20 you know he was 20 20 miles an hour he was riding longer he got to 21 22 23 longer 24 25, 26. So my frat brothers have a, a, a spring and fall challenge, right? Who can get the most miles, you know, most elevation. So the, the brother said, well, I'm in. So, you know, he, he set the mileage record, rode, rode 900 miles the first time he won, 900 miles. So, you know, everybody was coming for him then. Consistency. I, I got it. So the next time he won, he rode 1,100 miles. Jeez. Rode 200 miles the final day to win the challenge. So I, I want people to think about what Thomas just said about compound interest. The, the, the one thing, the consistency about being great. When you tell yourself or ask yourself what the revolution can be, it can be simply, as Thomas has said, just be 1% better. Each day, because at the end of the year, this question that I've been asking you, what are you doing? You should have been saying to me, Corpru, I got 1% better yesterday. I'm going to be 1% better today. And when you ask me on December 31st what I am, I'm going to tell you I'm 365% better than I was January 1st. And this is what this looks like 
for me. As we look to year five, revolutionaries, I look forward to being on this journey with you. And I'm hoping, I am hoping that you will come on this journey with me. That we continue to ask and answer what we think here is the most thought-provoking question of your life. What's your revolution? And that on this journey together that we can actually change the lives of men and the people who love them. That we build communities together. That we build businesses together. That we build dreams together. That we build revolutions together. Join me. Join me, revolutionaries, as we continue to compound the impact of the What's a Revolution show, not only here, but across the globe. And we are thankful for all of our international listeners, all of the people outside of the United States that come on and listen to this show time and time and time again. For all those ardent supporters who know every word, right? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being a beacon of light for us. Thank you for going out. And as Thomas Drew says, being a revolution for someone else's revolution. Did you hear that? Thank you for being a revolution for someone else's revolution. Because we need to see models. We need to see examples. Thank you for all of the people who have said, you know what? This is my show. This is what I listen to. This is what gives me food for my life. Thank you. Thank you. And we look forward to spending more time with you in year five, giving you everything that you need to make sure that you are revolutionary in your life, in your families, in your communities, in your cities. That we have a cadre of revolutionary people making revolutionary change i love you i love you i love you and we'll see you soon what's good revolutionary what's good revolutionary what's good revolutionary